Hello, Freedom Fighters. My name is Danny Flood. Thank you so much for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for optimizing your life to find more adventure, passion, and purpose. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Go check out the new manifesto on lifestyle design, authored by yours truly, Buy Your Own Island, now available on Amazon. It's been called inspiring and empowering and one of the best new books on entrepreneurship. Lifestyle design for 2015 and beyond. Look for it on Amazon or go download the audiobook for free at buyyourownisland.com forward slash audio dash book. Hey, it's Danny Flood. Welcome to the Open World Podcast. I am here today in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and I'm joined by one of the, uh, by a very successful expat entrepreneur here in Cambodia. And one thing I really love to do on this show is to feature digital nomads, location independent entrepreneurs, and expat entrepreneurs who have uh, gone abroad and created new lives for themselves. And my guest today is the co-founder and co-owner of Mad Monkey Hostel. He started his life, uh, he started his adult life as a plumber out of university, opened a plumbing business in Brighton, UK, and uh, before he he really got into that and and settled down as a plumber, he went on a backpacking trip in 2009, um, backpacked around Southeast Asia for four months, lived and worked in uh, Perth, Australia, visited New Zealand and Fiji. And then he traveled around South America, Chile, Peru, Bolivia, Argentina, Brazil. Uh, he got a taste of the travel lifestyle and, and couldn't get enough. He went back to London for four weeks and decided he couldn't return back to that old life after that uh, travel experience. He couldn't go back to his old life. Um, he wanted to go back to Australia, but then he stopped in Cambodia. And um, he was working in the Bamboo Island for four months off the coast of Cambodia and uh, suddenly had this idea to... Uh, started out a, ho- a hostel chain here in Cambodia, and it's since grown to be the leading hostel uh, chain in all of Cambodia. They have three locations, uh, 150 employees, and uh, one of the things that was really important to him and to his partners as well is to uh, improve the plight of Cambodian workers uh, here, local workers, because many of them are uh, not getting paid fair wages by their, their foreign bosses or not being treated too well. Uh, there's a lack of education here, and, and one thing that they've been doing is educating their employees and um, also giving back, creating a uh, socially responsible enterprise, helping to build over 100 wells in Siem Reap. And so sitting across from me is Alex Derrick, and we're here in this cafe, uh, Nam Cafe, in what's, how do you pronounce this neighborhood? It's a uh, Bunking Kong district. I call it Donkey Kong District because it sounds like Donkey Kong. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, well more known as BKK. Okay, so I just want to welcome you to the show, Alex. Hello, thank you. So Alex um, had this conventional path before him. He was a, a plumber, a typical blue collar job, uh, typical upbringing in the UK. Would you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just come from a, a normal kind of working class family. Um, went to a normal uh, public school and uh, got into plumbing kind of by accident, but uh, it was a, a good part of my life. It's got me where I am now. Uh, but you were around 25 or so, and, and you felt like uh, you wanted more meaning in your life. Uh, 
terrestrial path wasn't serving you, right? Yeah, I was working hard. You know, I was getting up in the morning early, doing a day's work, coming home in the evening, and then doing all the admin and paperwork that would come along with uh, running a business. Because um, we had several other people working for us as well uh, by the time I left. Um, and the weekend, I was just going out to kind of release all the, the stress and. Saturday nights would turn into Sunday mornings and it, it wasn't a healthy lifestyle that I was living. Um, kind of like uh, forget the work week behaviour, right? Exactly. Blow, right. blow all the money you earn just to forget your work blow a, blow a fair amount of it, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest was spent on holidays. I, I felt like I was constantly trying to escape the life that I was building myself and then I was looking at older people um, in my generation. Um, you know, like people my parents' age and seeing the people that had chosen the same career path as me and um, seeing that they were still doing the same thing and still, you know, they had a nice car and a big house, but I could see that that wasn't enough for me. I wanted I wanted some happiness. I wanted to enjoy what, I'm, what I was going to be doing to, you know, earn my living, spend so much time at work. Mm-hmm. Most of your life is at work, so if you're not happy working, then you're not happy in life. There's a sense of emptiness there, isn't it? Um, you might have a nice Mercedes, but um, you know, what's the real purpose of life? You know, if you're working so hard just for a nice car, uh, is that really going to bring you satisfaction? I mean, there might be a high, you know, once you buy it, but it think it's boring, yeah. Yeah, there must be more. I, I think I followed a similar path, you know, where I just I was looking at people who were 30, 40 years ahead of me, and I just see them just going through the same cycle over and over again, and. Um, just, just really frustrated that there's not more to life. There has to be more to life. So you actually literally escaped where you uh, went kind of on a half gap year, uh, six months of travel, right? Well, yeah, I went traveling for a year of which in the middle of that was, was a working visa in Australia, um, which I enjoyed. Life was better there, better than the UK, probably because of the weather and the work I was doing. I, I was working for somebody again. I didn't have all the responsibilities I had as a, as a business owner. Um, and then the money was still as good as what you would be earning if you were running your own business in the UK. Um, the, the salaries were high there. Um, but when I went travelling, um, I really realised the world was a big place and there's a lot of people out there making money, doing things that they enjoy. And, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I think even moving to Australia, it was only kind of a half escape. I was still going to be going back to a career that I really wasn't enjoying. Yeah, that seems to be a common theme that we uh, see on this show with people we interview is that, um, you know, growing up in just the set routine, they feel like uh, their dharma is out of alignment, and it's not until they actually get out into the open world, as we say, uh, that they kind of discover their, their purpose and their place in it. You know, you have to discover the world first, and then you can find where you fit in. So when, when was the moment when uh, you decided that you, you were, you know, completely committed to just taking a different path and, and trying to make it out on your own? I mean, you were uh, in Cambodia, you were planning to go back to Australia. Uh, tell me about that experience a little bit. Um, well, I arrived on the island with the intention of staying there a month, just to kind of really, really analyze my life, think about exactly what I was doing, because I, I left a lot behind in the UK, um, and a lot of unhappy people, because, you know, family, and etc., who, who didn't want me to leave, um, especially to go to the other side of the world, um, and a business that was 
really successful. You know, we were I was turning work away every day at home. It wasn't because we weren't doing well um, that I'd left it. Um, so I, I wanted some time, um, and there's there's not really a better place than on a island which has no shops, not even a road, um, just footpaths and just meeting the most interesting people that come from all walks of life um, that, that, that came to this island and being behind the bar and meeting these people, talking to them. And I really, really thought about everything I wanted carefully um, and then that combined with building relationships with the Cambodian people on the islands that worked there um, and lived there made me start to form this really amazing bond with the people here. Um, and I started to think, hang on, like, why am I going to Australia to escape half of the life that I wanted to leave when I'm still going to walk into the other half? So um, at that point, I started to think maybe maybe there's something in Cambodia here for me. Uh, and that was a day before I was leaving the island was when I, I met who is now a business partner, Steve. I see. So you're on that uh, uh, Bamboo Island, is that Bamboo right? Island, yeah. What's, what's the official Koh Rusai? Well, Bamboo Island is the English term. Goh Rusai is the Khmer name for the island. Okay. And the actual place I was living and working on was a place called Koh Ru. Koh Ru, okay. Um, it consisted of 10 bungalows at the time, um, all of which were like two or three metres from the sea, and two dorms. So there would be 50 to 70 guests staying there per night. Um, and we were the only place that offered uh, accommodation and, and food and drink on that on that whole stretch of beach. So everybody congregated in the same area every evening for food and drink, and, and it just was the most amazing atmosphere. I mean, I, I've, I've yet to ever discover a place like that anywhere in the world. Um, mm -hmm. Through not that I've travelled everywhere, but through all the places I've been, it's very very unique. Um, and anyone that visited the place said the same. So you were sitting on this island, uh, this very rural, rustic island with dirt roads and uh, uh, living with the local people, and you're just completely disconnected from your old life. And that's, that's kind of where you have this uh, catharsis that you realize that you, you could change. Did, did you have any doubts or fears um, about how you were going to do it? Or, or of how did you know to get it started? <laughs> oh, God, of course, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of moments of thinking, have I gone mental? What am I doing? <laughs> Did you feel like you How were running away? Yeah, for sure. I was running away. I had a backpack and a one-way ticket. You know, it doesn't get much more. I mean, the only saving grace I had is I did have access to funds of, you know, not a huge amount of money, but enough money that I felt I could set myself up somewhere doing something. Um, and again, like that, that was all money that I earned myself off my own back. None of it was a gift. So. I, I felt like I had every entitlement to to take those risks. Uh, what was the initial setup for the business like? Did you have enough uh, capital to get started? I mean, uh, uh, everything it... went over budget, as it always does. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, we were at a point where all three of us were were skint. <laughs> we had no money, um, and yeah, it was it was it was really 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 scary at times. Um, it's amazing how we got through it, and I look, we look back at some of the situations we were in now and just think, oh my God, how did we not go crazy, you know, because we were operating on a few hours sleep a night when we originally opened the hostel, because we were, we were everybody, apart from cooking food, 
um, or myself uh, being anyway I, I wasn't much to do with the cooking of the food but you know we were receptionists we were waitresses we were barmen you know we were everything and yeah but you guys did you guys really enjoy what you were doing did you find that happiness right away of course yeah yeah, yeah we were extremely <laughs> passionate but still scared at times mm -hmm. but for some reason not with any arrogance but we also did have this confidence that we were going to get there and get there eventually yeah and the, the two people that I set out with the day before we signed the lease none of us knew each other I didn't know anything about either of them apart from met Steve on an island for one night which wasn't exactly the most uh, sober evening um, <laughs> and and you know I'd been talking to him about wanting to do something and at this point he had already um, put a deposit down on the hostel in Phnom Penh he'd oh, wow. formed the name the Mad Monkey uh, and he'd come away for a break from Phnom Penh because it was uh, Khmer New Year, Cambodian New Year, I think, which has just finished just now. Um, so that would have been four years ago, around now, uh, where he was on the island with some other people I knew because they were regular visitors to this island as well. Um, so, and so you basically just had a conversation over beers and that's how the business was born? Well, kind of. We, we got to know each other a bit and then he left and then emailed me to say, he was in Phnom Penh, he'd really like me to come and meet him, mm -hmm. he had a proposition for me. So I came to meet him, uh, and another partner, uh, Amy, she was somebody that I'd got to know through her coming down to stay on the island as well. Mm -hmm. She kind of introduced us and was kind of saying, you two should get together and start to talk. I think Alex would be really good to have you you know, on board with the business. And Steve had got to a point where he had, he had like, put as much money in as what he wanted to, so he was looking for outside investment, um, originally micro-investment, you know, lots of people to buy certain shares. I arrived, met Steve, he showed me the building, I walked upstairs, I looked around, and I just, for some reason, a lot of my family at the time was saying I was crazy and friends, I, I, I felt, yeah, I'm going to do this, um, and I didn't know Steve, and he didn't know me. And then I actually went back to an apartment which I was moving into, which this is where the story gets even more crazy. And the person I was moving in with, um, I'd only met previously when I just moved to the island in January. So in April I was moving back, and uh, this is Tom, who's uh, another uh, another one of the founders of the Mad Monkey, and um, he uh, he had been in, put in contact with me because his flatmate was moving out and they said oh Alex you should take our old room so I've gone in with my bags having met Steve at the Mad Monkey so this is all the first day I'm back in I'm in Phnom Penh going to the apartment put my bag down and I tell Tom right I'm going to uh, invest in this hostel and he's looking at me he's like what you only just got to Phnom Penh today <laughs> I was like yeah but I've been to see it and I'm really keen I think it's a great idea and I could see Tom's eyes they were they lit up and and I was like, wait, uh, like, are you interested? And he's like, well, I wouldn't mind hearing more about it, but I could be. So um, <laughs> I called Steve uh, really quickly um, and said, right, do you know Tom? They knew of each other. They weren't real good friends, but they knew of each other because of Top Banana, um, which is a, an, another big hostel in, in Phnom Penh, uh, which we'll go into later. Um, they, they knew each other from there. And basically, I took Tom along and then Tom was sold on the idea too and I think it was 
less than 48 hours later we're putting pen to paper for the contracts and that was the beginning of the Mad Monkey. <laughs> and it's worked out pretty well. I mean, you guys are now the leading hostel chain in Cambodia. Uh, number one, it, I, I'm always fascinated at these stories, you know, how people end up starting these businesses uh, on the other side of the world, um, you know, because we see a lot of the foreign owners of businesses here in Cambodia, for example. I've been to Sihanoukville, I've seen maybe uh, three dozen businesses there owned by foreigners, but you don't really hear the story of the, the owners, so I, I think it's pretty interesting yeah. to me. Um, but in your case, did, did you see, like, uh, there was a, something missing here, like there was an opportunity to create hostels here because it didn't exist when you started? Well, I was so amazingly surprised with the experience <laughs> I had in South America when I was traveling with the hostels there. Mm-hmm. They just made, congregated all the guests and we went on tours together and it was just, yeah, I was blown away. I was, I never expected to uh, have such a, an amazing time in, in well, a hostel experience in South America. It was by far my, my best hostel experience through traveling, far, far better than Australia and any, any of the other places. So, and I knew there was nothing like that here. I knew that. And then also we'd been told, well, we'd not, I knew that the lakeside had been closed down, which is where there was around more than 2,000 beds where backpackers used to be, and they'd all been shut down for a big uh, property development over there. So we knew that there was a shortage, um, and I also knew that Cambodia was becoming extremely popular. It was the new place to go. It wasn't any longer the off the beaten track kind of just for the real hardcore travellers, you know, normal people that were doing their gap years were wanting to go to Cambodia, they were wanting to see Angkor Wat, they were wanting to um, to get a, get a piece of, of the action, so I, I, I knew that, that it was going to be an up-and-coming place. I see. And you often attribute the, the success of your growth to, um, we say that the biggest factor in the success of the business was uh, your company culture. Of course, yeah. And your your mission for what you want to to manifest here in Cambodia, what you want to, how you want to improve the lives of Cambodians. Can you tell me about a bit about how you guys uh, set that up? Well, when we set up, we sat down together, and it was clear from the outset that the one thing that the three of us really, really shared, and that was the fact that the jobs we were going to create, we wanted to create for local people, um, preferably if we could get by without employing any foreigners, only the locals. We wanted to give them all of the perks that we would get at home. Uh, you know, holiday pay, healthcare, um, education, um, one day, at least a day off per week, you know. Because a, a lot of the workforces in our kind of sector at this point, you know, they weren't getting days off. They're working 12, 14 hours days. Um, and even if they did have a day off, they wouldn't have had any spare capital to do anything with that day. Um, when they get sick, you know, they've got bills to pay for healthcare, um, and if they're not working, most of the time they wouldn't get sick pay. Um, now, there are businesses that do offer all of these. It's not just the Mad Monkey that does this. There's many businesses now that, that offer fair employment, and there is the laws that are set, but... Um, you know, beforehand... Uh, but, but many of the regulations to protect the workers are not really enforced. followed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, I, I noticed that as well, when, um, especially here in Cambodia, it's particularly bad. When I go to Sihanoukville, some of the islands out there, they have some beautiful beaches there, but you don't see the local people at the beaches, for example, you yeah. know, enjoying their leisure time. 
uh, it's, it's all foreigners mainly, and that, that's a problem, I think. Yeah, I mean, thankfully now I can safely say that we have staff that used to come in on bicycles that now have motorbikes. We have staff that never had a day off that now go on holidays. We have staff that never used to eat out that now are posting pictures when they're in the shopping mall having dinner in one of the restaurants. And, and that's because they work hard. It's not because we give them anything for free. They work for their salaries. And the ones that have worked, been with us since we opened, um, their salaries have doubled, tripled, um, and deservedly so, because they learn a lot along the way. Um, the one promise we always made to them is we would take them with us um, if they work hard and the business grows and it becomes successful, they're not just going to be looking at us gaining all of the wealth. We will make sure that they are sustainably employed in a way that we, we will improve their salaries, always based on their performance and everything everything's worked for. And it's, it's not just salary, you've been enriching their lives by giving them new opportunities, because many of them haven't been outside of Phnom Penh, for example, but uh, you often, you've given some of your employees, uh, you have some fun stories where you've taken them to Singapore, or, or yeah. to see them reap, uh, sponsor well, I mean, their trip. The first, the first things we were doing was when we opened the second hostel in CM Reap, um, which we opened with another guy called Ollie, who also was a plumber, um, and also from the same uh, county as me, so well, ten minutes away from me. So it's quite bizarre, really. He came out travelling. We knew each other before at home, but we weren't like best friends. He came out and he was interested, just as we were going to be opening the second hostel. Um, so then he became another partner, and and Top Banana, which is the hostel I talked to you about earlier. And mm. um, the owner of that, who's Cambodian, then then joined partnership to open CMRE. So when we opened CMRE, the biggest thing that we said straight away was any of the staff in Phnom Penh hadn't yet seen Angkor Wat, that we would take them there. <laughs> so that's what we did. And you've provided a number of other benefits, and um, I think your business practices have, have paid off uh, for the most part. Everybody seems, all your employees seem so happy, and they, they treat the guests, you know, it's such love and, and care and special interest, they always seem to be smiling and it's creating a great experience for your customers. So I think the do-good aspect is good for your business as well. But this is, this is, this is a, it's not just a matter of uh, being a nice person and having morals, but like for a business it's, it's the best decision because if people walk into a restaurant or a hostel and they're greeted by staff that are happy and are happy to be there and like the people they work for, then they're going to be doing a better job and then the customers are going to feel happy. Um, you know, who doesn't feel happy when you walk into somewhere and the, the staff are bouncing around and music's on and you can see that they're happy. Like immediately, it makes you happy. I mean, you know, if you're surrounded by people that are smiling, it's very difficult not to smile. <laughs> and some of the other benefits you provide are. Um you give them free English education, you give them health care, um, interest-free loans. Yeah, again, the, the education is, for us, a no-brainer. Um, mm -hmm. We have a cleaner that comes in, and if she wants to learn English, what you know we do is we'll enroll them into English lessons. We have one girl now who, who started with us uh, two years ago, and she couldn't speak any English, and she's now a waitress, and she's speaking fantastic English. And... Uh, you know, and it enables us to be able to improve her salary because she's moving up through the business into different positions and 
that, that's the thing, like we've got people that were just working behind the bar when we first arrived and they're now managing the guest house. Um, it enables me and the other partners to go overseas and to, to grow the business in other locations because we can leave and trust the staff to make the right decisions. Um, and if they're not sure, they call us and they, they care about the business because they feel like they're invested into it as well because as the business does well, they've seen that also their salaries increase and their working environment improves um, more and more every day and each time we open a new location they get excited because they know it's another place for them to go because when we open a new place we use our current staff to go there and train the new staff so that means we opened in Kampot and the existing staff in Phnom Penh get to go there with their families have a holiday <laughs> at the same time as teaching the new staff so not only are they having a good holiday, but the new staff are then seeing what we've already created before in Phnom Penh and actually hearing it from the local people's mouths. Like, these guys aren't here to joke, they're here to be serious. And if you work hard for them, you will have a good career and you will have a much better life working for them than you will do most other businesses. That's great. So your employees are so invested in the company's success that they're, they're willing to, to help in any way that they can make that success a reality. That's exactly invested, and that's yeah. what we wanted. We want them to be invested, and we want them to know when it's not going well, and we want them to know when it is going well. And you know, they through the highs and the lows. Even we've had lows when we've been really struggling for money to pay the bills at the beginning. Tell me about a specific situation. Oh well, one time we had a lot of a lot of money owed to suppliers, um, you know, and, and and rent and low season came in. The rain was coming down, so not so many customers. Um, and then all of a sudden, the drain collapsed all the way through the restaurant. And we're talking, we've got an open sewer running through the restaurant pretty much. <laughs> so we've got to close the restaurant. Did you have guests there at the time? We had guests, happened? yeah. Oh. And we were having to try to get tarpaulins up. And we had no money, you know, no money to, to pay the bills. And the, having the restaurant shut for a day or two was like, it was, was a disaster for us because that was where any profit we were going to make was going to come from. So, but we got through. We got it fixed. We got it done. And what what advice? What side. advice would you recommend to someone who finds himself in a similar situation where they they're investing everything they have, they're working, you know, getting two or three hours of sleep a night, trying to get the business off the ground, and suddenly disaster happens and the business literally gets flooded and you can't afford to. Like, how do you dig yourself out of that? I mean, there's certain things that you cannot change it's out of your hands and if it's something like that you need to just stay calm and the good thing is there was three of us there at the time so we had each other to bounce off and if it was just one person I, I, I'm sure that the, the business wouldn't have worked <laughs> not there's not none, not one of us could have created what we created on our own um, and we wouldn't have been able to create the, the second place or the third place without Ollie and Sophie and, and, and now Brian and, and Zach and, and other people that are joining the team and another guy called Greg and none of that would be possible without it's all about having a team and there's days when one of you isn't performing as well or one of you's not feeling so happy and the others need to then realise that and, and they'll they'll push the momentum forward but when when you've got something going wrong like that yeah it's just stay calm and just just get you just you just get on with it I don't know I suppose that's the difference between people that are successful and people that aren't you just you stand up you brush yourself off and you're like right this is the situation we're in and this is where we've got to get to how are we going to get there and, and you make your way there 
and at the end you look back and think, how did I do that? But you get there. And so a big uh, key to making this work is having that supportive group around you, right? Always, always, yeah. always. Yeah. And even if you don't, if it's a business without partners, I mean, you could still have, uh, you know, maybe you could connect with other fellow entrepreneurs and you could share your your what you're going through together because it's just uh, like a group therapy session almost. Yeah, right? I'm sure you know this. Um, and we, like we said, we have a, a mutual friend already through. Uh, even though like we're in completely different uh, business sectors, but you, you surround yourself with with like-minded people, with people that have the same goals and interests in life, and then it's much easier to, to, to pull through those situations if you're surrounded by those people. If you're mm-hmm. surrounded by negative people, people that are just not looking for solutions and answers, then, then you're going to gradually, no matter who you are, you're going to gradually become that person too. So that's the, the, the best way, I think, is people you surround yourself with, like, choose them carefully and... The thoughts that are embedded into your head become manifested into the actions you take in your business. Of course. So if you have the right, surrounded by the right kind of people who are thinking the right things, then it'll eventually, even in a difficult situation, um, as long as you stay positive and you stay proactive, you can work your way out of it. You know, like, the the happiness thing we were talking about, we watched a clip once and we used it for staff training and... uh, uh, me and Tom found it in the office and basically it was a guy stood at a bus stop and the bus stop everyone sat there waiting to go to work and you know typical rat race early morning everyone looks so miserable and this guy just he, he's videoing it and he just starts laughing and laughing and then all of a sudden the person next to him just starts laughing and it's like this domino effect and all of a sudden all these people that were miserable before they're all just laughing and Nobody knows what they're laughing at. <laughs> they're laughing and smiling and they're happy. And it just goes to show, like, you know, in terms of being happy around people um, and having, like, positive positive thoughts towards situations, it is, it's very contagious. And that's what we said with the staff when a customer arrives and they're, and they're not... Um, they're not happy, they've been on a bus for a long time. And sometimes, you know, the guests they are, they're, they're really, really miserable when they arrive because they've had a hell of a journey. And I said to the staff, these are the people that we need to be even more polite to and even more happy. Because once you do that, then it's people people will react to that and they will all of a sudden start to feel happy again. And that's how we want the Mad Monkey to be, was the minute people arrive, they will, we want them to get that treatment. So you can change someone's state just through a simple gesture, even if it's like a a smile. laughing at a train station or something. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what I think. I mean, I know I've gone off topic a little bit here, but it was just yeah. more about like the contagious behaviours of, of people and, and your surroundings. So if, if the listener is uh, wondering, you know, um, there's been some good ideas that you've shared here, but, but if, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs uh, who are interested in, you know, creating a successful company culture, whether it's with their employees or, you know, Michael Gerber says that business has four primary influencers, you know, one are employees, uh, your customers, obviously, investors and suppliers. Uh, and if, if you can, you know, keep make everyone happy and, and really broadcast a successful brand and company culture with core values, I suppose. Uh, what advice would you give to creating that culture and those core values? Like, how did it start with you guys? Or we we were very open with everything. With the, certainly the key members of staff, they knew um, we would 
talk them through situations when things were going wrong um, and, and they would see us go through our emotional ups and downs and they would almost be along, they would be very closely part of the ride. Um, and very transparent with the staff but always looking out for their, their best interests, not just our own. Um, I'm trying to think what else, how else I could so, so being open and uh, just genuinely positive with everyone you communicate with. Yeah, I mean, especially in Cambodia, um, because, you know, the people here, they're, they're amazing, they're great people, but, you know, you, you can't treat them the same as you would in the West. When things go wrong, if you start screaming and shouting at someone, <laughs> you're not going to get a positive reaction. You need to stay calm and you need to sit down and talk to them about why this is wrong, what's gone wrong, and, and just kind of like... I found here the you can't just open a business and have all this respect towards you. Like you need to lead from the front, and they need to see you address situations when they're going wrong. Um, and maybe at the beginning, what we did wasn't exactly correct, um, but we learned the second time. Okay, maybe we should have done that differently. And to a lot of the management, the Khmer management, <coughs> we would openly talk about that. We would say, right, we made this decision; it, it was wrong, and we've learned that. So this is why. So once they realise that you're prepared to criticise yourself in front of them, then when you criticise them, they don't take it so personally. Right. They, they look and think, no, yeah, he's right, you know, I, I shouldn't do it that way. Whereas a lot of people or bosses, they wouldn't criticise themselves. So then every criticism that goes to the staff, they would take it a lot more personally. Um, and I think maybe, that, well, I'm sure that's been part of the success for us. Whether that works in every business sector, I don't know. It may not work in a banking environment. Well, one thing, one thing hostel, that I, I find works very well is um, the principle of the five whys, uh, which is a management principle. So whenever something goes wrong, if there's an issue that occurs, um, simply asking why enough times until you can get to the root of the issue. And then oftentimes it's not an employee issue or maybe it's a manager, managerial issue. Often maybe it's just a miscommunication issue or something that you didn't expect expect or, or plan for in the beginning. Um, one other thing I like there too is uh, I learned this from my friend Ryan uh, Ludek. Uh, he's the CEO of uh, Sumo Jerky, an online business. He actually has a 24-hour rule with email where if he sees an email that angers him, you know, rather than respond back right away, uh, he'll file it under 24-hour uh, rule or whatever. So he'll wait 24 hours before he emails that person back. So that he doesn't send back, you know, instinctually send back a negative email back. That's a, a fantastic uh, way to, to do it. And <laughs> it's a way that I think a lot of us use sometimes and sometimes we don't. But we should probably use it all the time. Because um, mm. it is, I mean, it, it, and that even the case with, say, TripAdvisor reviews sometimes. <laughs> uh, you know, when you put a hell of a lot of effort in and somebody pulls your, your business apart without really knowing that much about yeah. it you know sometimes they've been staying there for six hours um, and then there's a lot of judgmental calls made but yeah you do you need to sit back and and also one of the things I, I read in uh, I'm sure you've read it there's seven habits of highly successful people is um, every situation we could all look at and where we're all sitting from we've all had different upbringings different lives different things that have built us to who we are and we're always going to see a situation differently, all of us. And, and the, the key thing is with the Mad Monkey directors is we have we sit down and we look at these situations and we don't always see eye to eye at the beginning. 
um, and maybe sometimes one of us is being kind of way off track um, emotionally for some reason and, and normally the others and all the rest of us we come to a decision together and then everyone everyone's happy and that's the good thing is we there's many debates and discussions like that and so far we've we've always managed to come to an agreement together where everyone's felt happy so one of the most important aspects of any business is to acquire a steady stream of customers because obviously without customers you don't have a business um, and I've stayed at your, your hostel as well. I mean, you guys have been basically booked full. Uh, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs um, as far as uh, what has worked for you as far as lead generation and uh, keeping customers and getting them to, to come to your business? Well, obviously, taking into consideration all of the customer's feedback, um, positive and negative, uh, acting on it, um, you know, if, if things are appearing uh, on reviews continuously or, or even once or twice, um, you know, not being uh, ignorant and thinking, oh no, this is just this customer's opinion, but addressing those, um, sharing the reviews with the staff and the people that work for you, the positives and the negatives. Um, and yeah, uh, following up customers that have left, you know, emailing them, have they had a good time? What would they change? Listening to people's opinions um, when you're in the bar or the restaurant, when guests are talking to you, asking them, you know, what, what, what could we do better? Just continuously trying to get as much information from the customer as you possibly can. I see. And I can speak for myself. I know as entrepreneurs, uh, one of the hardest things is to take that criticism, you know, to get that negative review. That's something that I, we have all definitely improved on from day one. Now, um, you know, a negative review comes in, you read it, and it's like, right, how can we change this? How can we fix this? Why is this person thinking like this? Um, mm. There are some things that you can't change, um, but the majority of things, there is something you can do. So let's, um, I want to transition uh, a little bit here. Uh, tell me, what's, what's your life like today? How has your life changed uh, in these last four years? And, um, uh, dramatically. Um, <laughs> I arrived, obviously, with just a bag full of clothes and then set the business up and was here, was single and working crazy hours, you know, early in the morning, out late at night with guests taking them out and, you know, trying to, because we only had maybe anything between 15 to 30 something guests a night at that time so we knew every guest personally and you know we were making sure that they were having a good time as well um, to now obviously I'm, I'm married um, and my daughter's just turned one years old which I never dreamt of was going to happen when I left the UK you know like getting married and, and becoming a father was not something that I was expecting to happen very quickly <laughs> And you guys today, you um, employ about 150 people, mostly locals? We have around that n number, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so soon we're going to be opening up the, the fourth Maradong Monkey Hostel, um, which is on Korong Somlong, which is an uh, island just off of the south coast of Cambodia. So you have uh, four chains now, uh, four locations, and... Um, You've also given back a lot to the country that uh, has given you this success. You've obviously built more than, uh, I think, 100 water wells. Is that correct? Yeah, the the water wells are have been built um, 
it's something that Steve Steve uh, set up. Um, and basically, what we do is we've approached like uh, previous customers, uh, along with uh, friends and family. Well, a lot of friends and family um, who have kindly donated uh, water wells. It costs two hundred and fifty US dollars, um, and the water well would be able to provide water for up to uh, three or four families. Um, and the difference that can make is is huge because instead of these families children spending their time going to fetch clean water uh, to then come back for the families to to survive off and they have access to water right next to their homes so that means they can use this water for agricultural reasons which allows them to then grow and plant vegetables which they can sell and survive off not only that but the children then can go to school because they're not needed to go and collect the water and all these other things, and it's just this domino effect of there's if there's no water, mm. and you know people can end up in all kinds of situations, and and yeah, kindly, and so many of our friends, family, and previous customers have have supported us, and how the Mad Monkey does its bit is we do a party at least once a week, um, and we donate percentage of profits to the building water wells. Um, and we also have an add-on for bookings. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's how the water wells has, has happened. I've heard that the, of all the causes that you could contribute to, the most important is to clean water in developing countries because it's, it's the, force, the force multiplier that enables uh, many other things to happen. You know, they don't have to spend as much time collecting water. They can be in school. Yeah. Um, you know, people can focus elsewhere. They can improve their lives dramatically just from clean water right and then the family's not going to get sick because you know if they're sick they can't work then they can't work they can't provide any income and that on top of the fact that healthcare isn't free so um, or if it is it's, it's, it's very basic so yeah it's what, what who every single person should be able to access clean water in this day and age and it's 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 disgraceful that they can't you know anywhere in the world um, everybody should be able to have clean water how much have you raised so far? Um, in terms of cash, I'm not so sure because it obviously goes straight back into the fund. But I think we're touching 100 water wells at the moment, um, okay. along with an education fund where we send kids to school. Um, basically, we have a really close working relationship with an organisation called A New Day Cambodia. Um, that's in Phnom Penh, and they were set up, uh, and they were helping kids that were scavenging on the rubbish dump sites years ago when they were still mm. operating and um, basically they were set up, they set up a, a home where they could go in, they would stay there, they would go to school. Um, so we've supported them um, in a way that we've raised money for them. Uh, we've done a fundraiser in the UK when I went home um, and raised, oh, I think it was over five thousand dollars in, in one go, um, and that, wow. that that built a, uh, a play area and somewhere for all the staff to park their bikes and, and improve their facilities at the centre. But in return for that, we now, whenever we need new staff in Phnom Penh, we actually employ the the students that are looking for work coming out of the school from the centre, and they come to us with fantastic English skills, mm. great work ethic, because you know they've come from. From the bot, you know, like from the, 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 the like the lowest kind of chain in terms of um, like poverty, you know, they those type, all of them will, you know, they're, and they're, they're they're proud to admit where they've come from. They 
come from a family where they were struggling to you know survive and now these these girls and boys are come in they can speak great english they're well mannered they're well they're, you know they're well educated and they're great people to employ and, and it's a pleasure watching them mature into like fine young adults so they have the opportunity now to dramatically change their lot in life if they're willing to study and work hard Oh, I mean, this centre. They, the, the centre has children doing scholarships in the states now, and wow, yeah. I mean, you know, and that's that's one of the biggest, uh, one of the other big social issues in Cambodia. Because I'm not sure if the listener who's might know about this, but education and poor education is a big issue to fix in Cambodia, especially because uh, during the Khmer Rouge, you know, about 20, 30 years ago. Uh, there was a genocide of all the educated people. About one million people were were killed outside of Cambodia. Of course, I mean, almost everybody that was educated was was killed, um, and the ones that weren't, uh, they fled, um, either as asylum seekers or or they were lucky enough to to be evacuated. Um, but now Cambodia is a much more exciting and, and interesting place to live, mm-hmm. and now a lot of these people or families or maybe a generation down they're coming back and, and they want to improve and rebuild their country and you get a lot of Cambodians whose parents may be in France or America and they're coming back and they're seeing that in fact they can actually have a better life here than, than France or America and, and really help grow their country and the arts you know it's not just educated people anybody that, that they, they wiped out even the, the core the fight the, the martial arts fighting artists anybody anybody that had any kind of talent like that they were they were killed and if right so so the context is the the Khmer Rouge um, ruled by Pol Pot uh, they wanted to create a socialist agricultural society that's correct anyone who had uh, any type of hard skills or college education anything like this they were intellectuals completely mistrusted they didn't want them in this part of this new society and what, what you guys are doing and along with others is you're collectively taking steps to reverse the damage that was caused and, and provide Cambodia with a new future. Yeah, us and, and also the local people are doing it. You know, it, it wouldn't be fair to say that it's just foreign aid that's doing this because, you know, the country's moved forward dramatically um, and, you know, now there is a, a reform going on in the education sector. I think, you know, the government see now that they, they need to improve, improve on that mm. and they are doing so and, you know, the local people are, are starting to really realise, you know, what they've got here is, is such a, is such a special place and so much potential. And um, there's, you know, so many expats that live in Cambodia now, and they wouldn't be here if this place didn't have something special to offer. Right. Well, Alex, if I could just say, um, I think the world would be a much better place if there was more businesses like yours who had these types of priorities. Um, as you guys do, and I just want to thank you for uh, what you've helped build here and what you guys are continuing to do. Yeah, well, no, it's uh, we're privileged because one thing we always say is we were very fortunate enough to be born where we were born, um, and our significant amount of income that we managed to uh, bring in to come over here and set a business up, um, we were so lucky to be able to do that because in our own countries we wouldn't have been able to set up a, a hostel chain with the money we had um, and we need to remember that we're in another country with the visitors and yeah I've noticed that too when I came to Phnom Penh yesterday um, I first traveled here two and a half years ago and I just feel like I'm completely different than I was back then because I've lived uh, among the locals for so long now 
Um, and I realized that the only main difference between me and uh, the typical Cambodian is simply the place that we were born. You know, I've, I've been fortunate to have all kinds of opportunities um, for clean water, for education, um, for, with infrastructure, you know, in the United States that I've taken for granted. And, um, you know, if, if one of these people came and we switched places, I mean, I could be in their shoes the same, just the same. And, um, you know, that's, that's really the main difference. And, and everywhere I go, whether I'm in a communist country or capitalist country or Buddhist country or Muslim country, I find that people fundamentally want the same things. You know, and we're all kind of just in this together. I kind of get that sense. And I think Mark Twain put it best when he said, uh, he said that travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. Uh, and that, you know, broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things um, cannot be acquired just by sitting in one little corner of the earth your whole lifetime. And I think travel has really brought up that uh, social awareness aspect for me. And it seems like it has for you as well. Yeah, of course. I mean... It's easy to take things for granted, especially education and, and healthcare. Um, in the UK, everything like that's given to us, um, and you know, here people would give anything to have that. So you've created this wonderful success story for yourself um, by this life change you made here in Cambodia uh, versus your former life if you'd stayed as a plumber, and uh, you've changed the lives of uh, a number of different people since then. And um, would you say that you're pretty happy with this, this change, this choice that you made? Yeah, I've never looked back since the day I made it. Um, I'm yeah, happier than I ever imagined I could be. I've, I've made some great friends. Um, I feel like I've got another family um, in terms of having so many staff that really are like a family to us because you know, we've been through a lot together since we got here. Um, and yeah, it's amazing that I arrived here not knowing anybody and now I've got so many important people in my life. Life's, um, yeah, so it's been four years since you started, almost uh, half a decade. And it's your 30th birthday tomorrow, by the way. Happy birthday. Oh no, in two days. Yeah, birthday eve tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where do you see the next five years of this business? Oh God, I mean, we know what our goal is um, and that's to keep growing the Mad Monkey throughout Southeast Asia. Um, where do I see myself in five years? It's a difficult question because if you said to me six months before I arrived here, where would I see myself in a year? I had no idea I would be here um, back then. Uh, oh God, I, I imagine unless Cambodia changes dramatically, I think I'll probably be based here, um, hopefully moving around and uh, getting to go back to the UK more often than I have. Um, I've only been back twice since I've been here and it's uh, probably not enough. So it seems that another central theme is just um, being open to the opportunities that are there, available, that the universe provides to you and just going with them at full force, you know, just going head on, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, all of us want to just, we've got this momentum and we want to just keep going with it um, whilst we've still got all the energy to do it. Um, Obviously now I'm, I've, life changes in a way that I have to think about family more and, and how I'm going to provide for them. And also, you know, getting back to see my family that I've kind of deserted more often than I have been. But the business that we've got now, the beauty of it is there is no boundaries. We can grow where we like, as fast as we like. Um, as long as there's a flow of uh, tourists and backpackers going there, then there's an option for us to be there. 
Well, congratulations on your success, Alex, and uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you very much.